Phoenix Overlook Pop Culture. And welcome to our latest episode of this podcast. We have a new co-host, um, Curtis Warren, who's all the way in New Mexico. What's up, Curtis? Uh, a beautiful, clear day in New Mexico. Yes. So. Oh, jealous, jealous. That's right. It's still 6 o'clock over there, isn't it? It is. It's 619. The Royals have just started to hopefully win. We'll see. So, pretty nice day outside. Really enjoying it. Um, so. Absolutely. Uh, what what prompted this was uh, realizing our we have like all of us have different work schedules, and the thought kept kicking around the head, going, uh, "We need at least a few more people in order to round out the podcast and to keep." keep everything flowing because uh, Stephen Kelly, Shaggy, myself, we all have different schedules. Right. And Shaggy and I, we happen to have today off. Um, Stephen works, you know, he's a manager, salary manager where he's at now. So different work schedules and everything else. So we haven't always been able to record an episode when we needed to. So I got to thinking and that's when I remembered Curtis. He he actually used to live here in Holden. So something we have in common and plus Yeah. I escaped. He escaped he escaped Holden. Some may argue I escaped Warrensburg, but I'm I'm not so sure about that. But um um. Anyway, uh, Curtis, um, uh, tell people about yourself, um, the things that you were into growing up, that sort of stuff. Well, I'm a, currently a student at New Mexico Tech, and it's a small engineering and science school. I'm going to graduate next December, so it only took me about seven years to get a bachelor's degree, which is <laughs> um. Uh, you know, I grew up in Holden, which is a pretty small community. My dad went to school for the first time, went to college for the first time the year I was born. And my mom was a nurse. She had been to college before. So when I was growing up, my dad was taking all these college classes. He got a, a biology degree with an earth science minor from what used to be called the uh, Central Missouri State University. It's now in UCM, for those of you that know. And um, anyway, so when I was growing up, I, I got to go out with him when he would go fossil hunting or looking for Indian artifacts, arrowheads and clay pots and things. Um, he'd take me out fishing all the time, uh, doing all kinds of little science experiments that he was doing in his class he would come home and do with me. At the same time, I was one of those kids that was lucky enough to grow up when Bill Nye was on TV with his show on PBS when Fred Rogers was still around, um, you know, Scientific American Frontiers and Nova. I watched it all, you know, all the time, every week. Um, I grew up pretty heavily influenced by Star Trek, which really kind of took the science and gave me a lot of passion about it because never in my life did I think I'd live in a time when we basically had, you know, things like iPads, which were pads on Star Trek in the 1992, 1993. So it's kind of cool to see that. 
Um, so I kind of grew up with a scientifically minded set of ideas because of my dad and my mom. I also grew up um, as a gamer. I started on a uh, computer. Our family got our first computer in 1993. And I, I think it was running Windows 3.1, maybe. It might have been 94. I can't remember. Whenever that had, had been there. And so, you know, I was playing Wolfenstein. I was playing Doom. We talked about this before the show. I was playing Rise of the Triad. And um, I had a Super Nintendo, so I, you know, was into console, too. And I was doing all the Donkey Kong, Mario, and all that stuff. And it just kind of, you know, grew. I ended up with a Nintendo 64 a few years later and then got a PS2 and then a PS3 and a 360. And here I am 20, 22, 23 years later, still gaming, still going outside, enjoying nature, and still doing science. Wow. Um, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, so you... What's um, currently your degree at um, where you're studying at? So ironically, it's not a science degree. I mean, not in the, not what I started as. I started as a physics major. I, in my sophomore classes, hit a brick wall um, with some of the higher level physics, and I just couldn't couldn't do it. And I had a big long discussion with my advisor, and I said, you know, I really don't want to leave the school but I don't think that I can get a degree in physics in a reasonable amount of time. I've already spent three years at a community college. I don't want to spend eight years on a bachelor's degree. And so um, we made the decision. We talked and decided to switch me to earth and environmental science because I had that background. And about the time we made that switch earlier this year, I was starting to get really tired of school and starting to kind of burn out on it. So I finally did a degree audit, and I figured I could get a Bachelor's of Science in General Science and graduate next December, and I could take a couple of years off and then make a decision if I wanted to go back and try to get, like, a master's degree in geology or if I wanted to try for something else in the sciences. Um, I've recently, over the last couple of years, discovered a lot of things that I'm really good at, like public speaking. So, um, you know, I have a lot of different options that are available to me when I graduate. I just kind of have to take the time to get them all figured out. So, um, but yeah, currently I'm just a general science major, uh, taking, I've taken just about every class you can take. So. I know the burnout feeling I've changed. I had to change my major twice. Um, first time I ran into a brick wall with, um, accounting course the accounting class and um, like my brain was not wired that way so I wound up changing to journalism and then after the first class related to that realized that no that's not what I wanted to do either and I was like oh my dad liked history and I might like history too so I changed to that and it was called the finish up and get the hell out plan as opposed yeah. to the four year plan <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard, I think, to to kind of find your place when you're. I don't know if you're exactly like I am, but I'm interested in just so many different things that I want to do it all, and you can't do it all. And so, trying to find that one specific thing that's right for you is really hard to do. 
I can agree with that. Um, I had to change my major as well uh, when I started school. I, I was born and raised in Missouri, so I went to Sedalia at a community college, state fair. I went there for two years, about uh, close to my year and a half mark, right when I was getting ready to get out of there. I changed from being a history major to computer science, and then I transferred here to UCM in Warrensburg, and uh, been sticking with it since. So hopefully I'll be able to graduate this coming May, as long as they don't screw anything up. <laughs> yeah, that's always the the big deal, you know, is whether or not something gets screwed up or not. Um, no, I, I went to Longview Community College in Lee Summit, so I, you know, I did the community college thing. Initially, I was actually I had this grandiose dream at, at 17, 18 years old that I was going to uh, learn to speak Japanese and I was going to get a degree in Asian history and I was going to move to Japan and obviously I'd get married to an Asian woman and I'd have this great life being a translator and writing a few books and traveling around Asia. And then I kind of, you know, learned that that's not as easy as it sounded. <laughs> I also took a few classes in geology and I had this amazing professor that became a, a kind of a mentor to me and he just kind of slowly kept swaying me. He's like, you know, you really ought to check up and maybe think about being in the science in some way. And, and once that started, it was, you know, it was, that's what happened. So um, I've been associated with it ever since. And that was about 2007 when I, when that started for me. So, so, um, so, what and your favorite science to date is? That's a really hard question to ask. Um, all of it, obviously. <laughs> but um, no, I, I I came to physics because of uh, astronomy. I've always had a very deep connection to being outside, and so I'd have to say that astronomy and geology together to me are like two sides of the same coin and they are the two parts of science that I find the most fulfillment in and the most interest in and that that would be have to be my answer for my favorite would be those two because I I remember you you used to tell stories about going outside looking at the stars and wanting to be able to teach someday and taking students out and, and yeah. pointing to the sky and and Everything and showing the wonders of that. Are you eventually wanting to teach, or not so much now? Well, um, I can tell you for the last four years that I've been at New Mexico Tech, I do teach. Um, I've taught two undergraduate laboratories. Um, I am a student researcher. I have published scientific papers in the Minor Planet Bulletin uh, on asteroid uh, light curves. And uh, we can talk about that maybe a little later if you're interested in, in hearing more about that. But I do, one of my responsibilities at the campus observatory is to do these public outreach events once a month or twice a month. We have big groups of people will come in and we'll, you know, basically give them a tour of modern science and astronomy and the night sky and we'll take them out. We have these big, nice telescopes. And so, you know, I do teach and... The more I've done it, the more I've learned that it is an, an incredible feeling. It is also incredibly exhausting. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that I want to really teach anymore. Uh, in science, I'm much more interested in the research part of it, and that was something I discovered when I came here, where I was able to actually discover things on my own, left in a corner, 
nobody bothering me. That was much more pleasurable to me than actually doing the outreach, which I find to be very pleasurable but tiring. So you're you're gonna you're gonna be the big researcher and discover the way to the next galaxy. Uh, I don't think I'm I'm gonna make that. <laughs> I um, had a lot of trouble with quantum mechanics, and uh, you know I was the only person to get a C in a class that basically the only two grade options were A or F. So that kind of tells you that it was it was a really difficult struggle for me, and I just at the end I had to make that switch. And you know it's I've spent the the majority of my actual research on asteroids, on comets, doing a little bit of kind of the engineering side of putting together telescopes and looking at optics and maintenance and cleaning of of instrumentation, camera instrumentation. So, um, but really once I switched my degree this spring, I kind of left that behind. I mean, I still have the skills, but I tend to do a lot more with sedimentary geology now since I've kind of shifted that focus and I, and I look a lot more at hydrology and things that they're, they're still hard sciences, but they're not quite as mathematically um, demanding as physics, pure physics was. Which com computer sciences, huh? Um, how heavily is math involved in the courses that you've, you've taken, Shaggy? Um, well, in, in UCM, there are uh, three, there used to be three areas when I came there in about 2012, but they added a, another area just this last year for uh, uh, game design, which kind of annoys me because I think I probably would have chosen that path instead of applied computer science. But um, in, in my area, which is applied computer science, I only had to take a, an applied calculus class. Um, in the past, I, I, I did have to take another physics class at this, uh, at this uh, school because some of my stuff didn't transfer. But I took a physics class in high school, and I took college algebra in high school. I never had a problem with math. I've, math has usually been pretty easy for me. Um, in computer science, 90% of the math that you're doing is usually binary-based. Binary-based uh, addition, uh, handing, uh, or sub, uh, subtract, stuff, stuff like that. Um, Boolean operations. Um, so uh, it's, it's difficult, but it's not, I don't know, it's hard to explain. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can tell you that our department for CS here is quite a bit different, I think, than most of the others. I have quite a number of friends that have done computer science all over the country. Ours requires Calc 1, Calc 2, Calc 3, linear algebra, ordinary differential equations, partial differential equations, and analytical geometry as part of the degree. And um, it's, it's a really extremely tough course load. Um, there's a class that, uh, I don't know if you have to take a class like this, but it's called Compilers. And it's typically the last class a computer scientist at New Mexico Tech will take, and they usually take it with no other classes their last semester before they graduate. And usually um, they end up getting like a C or a B in the class because it's so difficult and so demanding on time. But I think that it's like that here because 90, 90% of our uh, CS graduates go off to work at Sandia or Los Alamos or White Sands, so they go off to a government security job. 
and uh, computer security is a huge focus of our department here. We don't have game design. Um, we don't. We have a lot of pure logic in math that kind of mixes into computer science, but the vast majority is as uh, security um, and cybersecurity, that sort of thing. So that may be why there's so many more classes. Um, they actually take more math in our CS than a physics major does, which is kind of crazy. I so. know for our, our if you the, uh, the the four areas are applied computer science, actual pure computer science, and then uh, emphasis in networking were the original three, and then they added the game design degree. For um, the pure computer science degree, they, you have to take Calc 1 and Calc 2. I don't think you have to take any crazy geometry or anything like that. However, a class that I'm taking this semester that deals with computer, it's computer graphics, it deals with multiplication and transformations, rotations, all kinds of crazy stuff that every every single one of those uh, functions that you perform on an object, like say you had a cube and you're rendering a cube, like you play Minecraft. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like say you're going to rotate one of those cubes or something. That that's a matrix multiplication that's going on in the background, and all that gets passed to the graphics card. The graphics card super fast, so you don't, it doesn't have to worry about it. But um, so that kind of math, that's that's pretty high level, and you have to look at it from an abstract point of view. And right. In computer science, ninety percent of the time, ninety uh, percent of the time, you really aren't going to be doing any of the math actually, because all that stuff is taken care of for you. Right. You're looking at like abstraction. All kinds of other stuff. Right. You mentioned something about a compiler's class, um, and a, a class that I took last semester. Um, the instructor that taught the original compiler's class that I can't remember if it was graduate level or undergraduate level, mm -hmm. but they got rid of it, and I, I don't know if it really upset him or not. But what he ended up doing instead of having a separate class for compilers and then the class I was taking, which was called Programming languages, which is a generic class about like if you take this class, you'll be able to learn almost any programming language because it's the design and logic and stuff that goes behind making a programming language. But he also talked about like compilers and how they work, how they parse like your source file, all that other crazy stuff. Right. So it's pretty much that class and a compilers class all thrown into one. <laughs> I really almost wanted to shoot myself, but I passed it with a C. That sounds crazy. That sounds crazy. It was. It was one of the roughest classes I've had so far, and then this semester I've got one that's pretty rough too, and it's computer architecture. So, mm -hmm. like, top-level abstraction for, like, design of a processor. I actually have to design a basic processor in this class. Right. I want to shoot myself again. <laughs> that does not sound like fun to me. Uh, I like playing on computers. I don't really know a whole lot about them or how they work. So... Um, if it's any consolation, um, I can swap parts in and out. My greatest weakness is completely building one from the ground up. Motherboard, power supply, and all that. I do better if it's already somewhat put together and it just needs stuff added to it. Because that I've, I've never been able to fully build one myself. One day I will overcome that fear and do that because my, my 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 fear is I'll make the same mistake I made several years ago with an adder. Oh, this fan and heat sinks no longer on there. 
I'm sure it'll be fine without it. And wonder <laughs> why the system mysteriously shuts off in the middle of me doing, uh, you know, yeah, a 3D game. So I'm like, oh, it, this is running very, very well. All of a sudden, pew, the chip had fried. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's it's um, as, as far as computers go, I had to take CS113 when I got here. It was an introductory to computer science, a requirement of the school. And, you know, the teacher basically walked into the class. We all sat down. We had these big, nice computers. He said, log on the computer. I log on the computer. And he says, this is called Linux. Moving on. We're going to start programming. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like, you know, here's Linux, and now I'm using it. And I'm like, well, I've never used Linux before. I use I, I, I work primarily in Macintosh OS, which is similar, you know, than I know now. But, yeah, there was no instructions. Just we're on Linux, and we're going. And um, it, was a, it was a long semester <laughs> of trying to figure that out. That was similar to when I walked into my uh, uh, CS1100 class. That all the computers were actually set up to dual-boot operating systems. Mine is, too. Um, mm -hmm. But the instructor made us uh, He didn't prefer which one you wanted, but for us to submit an app, uh, or like if we wrote a program, which it was our introductory class, right. similar to what yours was probably. Right. Uh, and... For us to submit a program to him, you don't email it to him. You had to submit it through the Linux server that we had on campus in that building. And in order to do that, it had a basic shell script that was written for Linux only because it's completely different. And you'd have to submit it remotely by doing that. Yeah. And thankfully, I, I've been messing around with Linux for uh, since probably 2011. I love Linux. And yeah, I would be on it today, except I was just doing homework in Windows. And I was just playing Borderlands a little bit ago. Yeah, but uh, so I had no problems jumping into it. But I know probably eighty percent of the students that were sitting in that class were lost. They're like, I don't know how to do this. And so he handed he ended up giving us a sheet that's just like do this, this, and this, and this in this order, and you'll get the correct accomplished. <clears throat> yeah. So so. Which distribution were were you sitting in front of, Curtis? Which Linux? I think it we were using Red Hat. I think is what it was, but I don't quite remember the class. I got an A in the class. Um, I did all the work. Uh, it was hell, and then I prompted. It's kind of like chemistry. I don't like chemistry that much. I guess if there was one science I don't like that much, it's chemistry. Because how many times can you can you have solution A, solution B, and tell me about solution C? It's like really, <laughs> but um, I didn't really remember a whole lot because the programs that we used in our research were these really nice high-end programs that pretty much did everything for you uh, through Windows or Mac, depending what you were running, or they even work on Linux. But they did all our Fourier transformations and our calculations for us. And so a lot of the stuff I learned, I just really never used. Um, and I kind of not sure how I feel about that because I can definitely see how there's a benefit to learning, at least some having some familiarity with programming and how a, a system works and what OS, which OS you're using, what it is, how it works. Um, but at the same point in time, it still seems like it's almost a little variable depending on what field of science you're in 
what you're going to do. In our physics department, for example, everything is done through Linux. Every um, computational physics and computational astrophysics doctor uh, Sonnenfeld teaches them as if you know your way around Linux. He doesn't, the software is for Linux, everything's for Linux. Um, but if you kind of migrate over into the Earth Science Department on campus, everything's done through Mac. Everything. I, you know, it's all the time. I'm ha it's like I'm lucky because I'm sitting in class and I have a little MacBook Air, and so every time I have to get a program to do some calculations or something, it's like, oh, it's only a Mac, and I'm like, woohoo! But half the class is like, oh, man, I can't, I can't deal with it. <laughs> Um, but then again, if you go over to our computer science department, they're using all three systems and they're going nuts with them, doing all kinds <laughs> of really interesting things. Um, I would have a heyday. Cause yeah. I would just love to have like one Mac sitting here, my yeah. Linux desktop sitting here, and then a Windows sitting over here. You know how... I wanted to show you this real quick, Curtis. I yeah. picked this up a while back. It's oh, a, nice version of Red Hat 5.2. I don't know if I can even run it. I've tried a couple of times and I've never got it to work correctly. But yeah. it's from 98. Wow. <laughs> no, we have uh, the main Linux that they use, I believe, is still Fedora. Um, but yeah, we were using Red Hat then. Uh, I was going to say, some of the computer science students, uh, we have a department that is has a couple of Asian uh, transfer students, and one of them is from South Korea, and she, I don't know how, but got her hands on a copy of Red Star OS, which is the North Korean operating system. And so I was lucky enough about two years ago to see the only system in the world that crashes more than Windows because it was like every five minutes, they they just try to click on like a start icon, which was a horribly ripped off uh, Windows start icon for this really shitty OS, and the whole thing would crash, and I had to reboot the computer and go again. Just trying to get a like a simple image, a JPEG or like a bitmap image to come up for them, it crashed, crashed, crashed over and over and over again. It was awful. So, you know, I, I, it's kind of funny to be able to say, hey, I, I've seen uh, in operation an operating system that nobody else in the world uses, um, which is pretty cool, but, you know, kind of neat. I don't know how she got it. I'm assuming they must have had family or something from North Korea and that stuff, but it's pretty funny. So what, what, learned, what got you down to the... Uh, place that you're studying at in the first place, because I, I don't ah. think I've ever heard the full story about that. Uh, in 2010, in the spring, I was getting close to um, transferring out of Longview. I had taken a lot of math classes, uh, elementary stuff, like I'd really gotten a solid grasp on algebra and really corrected a lot of things that didn't work well for me in high school. And so I was getting close to getting out of school, and I was applying to all these big astro schools like Cornell and Harvard and uh, UC Davis and uh, Washington University in St. Louis, University of Washington in Seattle. And I kept going to my mentor getting all these recommendation letters because, you know, it's like I, I want to get into a good school. And he said to me, he said, you know, you, you should check out, there's a school in central New Mexico. Um, you, should, you should really check them out and apply there at least. And so I applied to all the schools. Um, New Mexico Tech was the first one that emailed me back and said, you know, yeah, you, you meet the requirements to come to school here. 
Um, so I set up a, a trip. I came down in June of that year to see the school and I had actually already accepted their offer to come to school here, all the financial aid packages and scholarships they'd given me, but I had an option to give a final so I could come down and I could see the school and say, well, maybe this isn't the right place, so I'm going to decline uh, for the following year. But um, when I got down here, it was just, it was like a mind explosion. I had never been any farther west in the United States than... Uh, Manhattan, Kansas. I had been to the East Coast. I'd been to Chicago. I'd been overseas to the United Kingdom twice, but I have never been farther west before I came out here than Manhattan, Kansas. And so, whereas I'm driving through West Texas and driving through Eastern uh, uh, New Mexico, Western New Mexico, Central New Mexico, it's like this. There are all these big ass mountains. You know, it's like this is a place for me. When I saw the school. I mean, I knew this was the right place for me when I saw all the computer science kids huddled around a table outside on a summer day all playing, uh, like, Quake or whatever it was they were playing in the corner. You know, I know it's a school for me when I'm walking down the street and I see two little girls from school walking down the street trading Pokemon cards with each other. I know this is the right place when I see, you know, two old-ass geologists sitting in the corner arguing with each other about how old that rock is, you know, on the street almost about to beat each other's brains out over how old that And I'm like, you know, this is the place I need to go. I was also really impressed. Um, this is not an easy school to stay in. We have only a 70% retention rate. Um, in fact, it's October 28th. Already four people in my apartment complex are gone. They've dropped out of school because they couldn't even cut it. And they were incoming freshmen that just got here in August. And the fact that they push us so hard in so many different ways really made me stop and think that that kind of skill that they're trying to build would make me a very desirable person to hire if I go out into a work field versus if I stayed in academia. Um, and so that's kind of how I ended up here. It was just kind of by, you know, one teacher saying, hey, you're applying to all these big-name schools that are going to cost you hundreds of thousands to go to where you can get the same education for, you know, nine times less if you check out a couple of these smaller tech schools. And I'm really glad that I, I did check it, do that and listen to it. And, it, and we, um, some other people who were uh, co-hosts of the show, we, we actually talked about how four-year universities have been used as glorified trade schools when they weren't designed for that in the first place, with the exceptions of, Specialized fields, specifically in medical fields, uh, yeah. computer science fields, those sorts of things, and then everything else was supposed was supposed to be primarily for academia, research, what have you. And now all of a sudden, um, they start using them to replace trade schools, and then people graduate and suddenly discover that. Nobody, even if there was an opening, they're not going to get hired because they're overqualified, or they have they don't have the work experience to back that piece of paper up with. Right. No, I mean this is uh, New Mexico Tech is a full four-year research university, and that is strange. When you first get here as a student, you start realizing. Uh, especially I came from a community college, it's like, where are the history majors? We don't have them. We don't offer history degrees. Where are they? We don't have them. 
you know, everyone is in some branch of engineering, computer science, chemistry, physics, what have you. And, um, you know, you, you, there's a lot about, um, I think, according to a 2013 study, New Mexico Tech has an 80% of the students that graduate do find employment in under six months. And out of those 80%, about 50% of those start employment at, at six figures, which is, you know, highly impressive, especially in the fields of mechanical and electrical engineering and in general physics and some of the other more profession-based um, programs. So, you know, thinking as I was at the time thinking I wanted to make the money because I was going to have to pay off all this debt that I would accumulate just going to school. Um, you know, I felt like it was better. It's also a smaller school, and it it's really nice to be able to sit in a class of only 25 to 30 students instead of 600 oh. and have that oh. kind of personal connection. I've connected with so many teachers here that it's really incredible. And on top of that, in science, I've connected with so many people that are the equivalent of Kim Kardashian but of science and not that stupid. So, um, I <laughs> you know, that superstar, I mean, uh, Penny Boston is the current chair of the Department of Earth and Space Sciences here, and she is world famous. She worked with Carl Sagan in the 80s. She knew his wife, his first wife. Um, she worked under the guy who came up with Gaia Hypothesis, which is this uh, a very big hypothesis about the, how the world is connected, how... Um, all the different life forms are connected. You know, you've probably seen shows on Discovery where they talk about if all the insects were to disappear from the Earth, it would descend into chaos. That's kind of what Gaia tries to map and talk about. Um, she's the director of the National Cave and Karst Research Institute. She works for NASA. She has all these um, epic uh, setups for all these space probes that she works on with her students. She's just cr And she's this crazy old lady, too. She doesn't take crap from anybody. Uh, you know, it has the, the most awesome... She had, I think she has a copy of in her office of every single original Star Wars action figure still in the box, lined up around the room in her office. So she's got this amazing office that just screams, you know, uh, you know, nerd. Or it, It's just great. It's really great. I've worked with my uh, advisor in physics was Dr. David Westfall, who is a 25-year veteran of radio astronomy and studied under a Nobel Prize winner at Yale. I've worked with uh, a lot of really cool people that had 30 or 40 year careers at NASA before they retired and became teachers. And so having that experience really helped to kind of pump me up and get me really excited to be here. You might not get that at a four year school, like a, a state school or something like that. Or, or a school that has a prestigious name, but Right. Sort of like going into the grocery store, you're buying the brand name, right. but you may actually be getting something exactly the same or even better for less. You can. I mean, there are, there are some instances where, you know, I have a, one of my best friends here uh, got his math degree. He's a math, mathematician, and uh, he, he graduated in June, and he and his wife are now living in Oxford in the United Kingdom. He's going to Oxford, and, I mean... He's. It's going to be cool because in five or six more years, I'm going to be able to say I knew him when, because the he's working on artificial tissue growth and mathematical biology and working on these ways of growing uh, new kinds of organs from 
small biomaterials so that you could take some material from Tommy and let's say you were having your lung was damaged. He wants to try to be able to take some of your own lung tissue and grow you a new one so that there's no chance of rejection. You know, you just put the new lung in and away you go. You don't have to worry about rejection. You have to take all these drugs for the rest of your life to keep the organ working properly. It's going to do that because it came from you. And that's really incredible. And he might not have the opportunity to do that. I definitely wouldn't have the opportunity to work on that here. But, you know, like I said, not always are those big name schools going to be there, but they do have their purposes. Um, you know, when you get, especially when you get into post-professionalism. But yeah, when it comes to going to a, a smaller school like this, I think this is a better thing because all of our stuff is hands-on. I take labs for just about every class I'm in, so I'm always getting an applied field to the science. So you, so um, you still play video games. You picked up. You've made your return to Magic: The Gathering. <laughs> yeah. I, um, oh, I. <laughs> the, the the most complicated card game that I played that I really got into for a while was Yu-Gi-Oh, but I I did dabbled in Magic for a bit and then I was like I lost interest. So 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 now so now so now you're addicted to the crack known as Magic: The Gathering again. Yeah, once again, yes. Now, I started playing Magic when I was about six years old, and I played all through uh, elementary, middle, and high school, and then I stopped in 2005, just because, not for any particular reason, it just sort of happened. I was I met, actually, you guys at the uh, uh, CMSU Anime Club, and I was going to college myself, and I was exploring all these other new options, and I just, the old group of friends that I had played the game with for so long we're not my group of friends anymore, and I didn't know anyone who played. And so I just kind of put my stuff aside for five, six, seven years, and it wasn't until I came down here and I was having trouble finding uh, a group to get in with outside of just the academic friends that I have that I was like, well, you know what? There's a group that plays on campus. I'm just going to pick this up again. And sure enough, that helped me to, to really kind of branch out and become a lot more successful in having more connections at this school other than just academic friends versus, you know, because I have friends that they are really cool people, but all they're interested in is hiking and rock climbing. Well, I'm interested in that. So I can do those things with them, but I can't play Magic or I can't play, you know, uh, some Borderlands or something with them because they're not into that. And I have friends that are likewise interested in gaming, but they don't want anything to do with going outside and hiking or river rafting. And so I can do stuff with that. So it was kind of cool to have that that whole big mixture of different groups of friends and then to find my old gaming crew, you know, and pull them in and, and have another connection to have. So it keeps me varied. Do you still do console gaming? Uh, yeah, I mean... A little bit here and there. I still have my trusty old PS3. Uh, I've, I've been hesitant to upgrade because, you know, being a college student costs a lot of money. And the PS3 I've had, so um, there's a nice backlog of games I can do on that. But I can tell you, I, I used to be a big supporter of Nintendo, and it just, I think by virtue of just how I've grown over the last 10 years or so since leaving high school. I've just kind of drifted away from them, and I've, I've kind of stayed to more um, 
modern games. And, and actually, a friend of mine and I here were having this discussion the other day because we were talking about, as I've mentioned on the show already, we were talking about Doom. We were talking about Duke Nukem 3D. A lot of those old games, uh, Myst, if you're familiar with the game Myst, had incredible level design. You, you're dropped into a game world, and you're basically, you know, figured out on your own. And we were talking about how modern games today seem to hold your hand to the game. It'll tell you where to go, where the item you need is, and there's, it really kind of feels like a lot of that originality has come out of the game in favor of just having bigger graphics, more powerful systems. It's not to say that there aren't good games today. There are very good games today, I think. It's just that the... I mean, I went uh, recently a friend of mine told, and told me about Brutal Doom, which is a mod that uh, you guys should definitely check out. If you have any gamers in your podcast, you should definitely have them check it out. But if you have Doom, Steam version is fine. You can download a mod called Brutal Doom, and it's just insane. It keeps the flavor of the original, but they actually update the graphics a little bit, make them a lot more uh, well-lit, and they actually... It's hard to describe, but there's a video that just shows how brutal it becomes, very bloody and very different other than, you know, how, how the game used to function. And we were talking about how that's become this big thing where the mod community is stepping in on games and they're trying to recapture some of that old, uh, more difficulty in games and bring them back into the modern world where we're faced with such limited gameplay in some places, Call of Duty. <clears throat> so, going back, have you played uh, Black Mesa? I haven't had a chance to do it yet. I am uh, was going to download it this summer, and then um, I had a horrible accident with my laptop, and I didn't have it for, like, three months because it was in the shop. And so, I, you know, with school, I haven't really done a lot. But over Christmas, I plan to, to pull down Black Mesa and try that out because that's the kind of stuff that I'm really interested in. Uh, Rise of the Triad is a game that almost no one knows about, one of those old 90s Doom-like, Quake-like shooters. And uh, last year, the company that created, I forget their name, but they made a, they actually made a whole brand-new game called Rise of the Triad. It's just a modern version of that old game. And so... I've had the opportunity to go back and play some of these, and you know, we had Wolfenstein: The New Order, which very much kept the feel of the original game, but brought in all the modern graphics and everything to it. That game was absolutely excellent. I just beat that just the other day. Um, <laughs> I loved it. One of my was... favorite elements of it is like like about halfway, midway to a little bit past midway through the game. Once you get into that uh, main base, uh, yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but you have the option to sleep. Yeah, and you can and you go through the dream sequence. Yes, you, you go through the dream sequence, and when you do that, it, it you have to hold down the E key, your interaction key. When you right. I'm playing it on PC, of course, um, but you have to hold the key, and it says nightmare. And then once you get in, it goes to a black screen, and then um, BJ says uh, it it's not over until I'm dead. Yeah, something about it's not over until I'm dead. The fighting keeps continuing bloody, like something else, I can't remember. And then it dro drops you into that original world where, where yeah. all the weapons and everything are still 3D, but like the... Uh, and everything else is 3D as well, but it's like Return to Capsule Wolfenstein. Yeah, it, it drops you back into Wolfenstein 3D maps. Um... It was just incredible. I was really... I'm, And you know, they're doing... The same company is doing the reboot of Doom, 
which I'm so fond of. So I'm hoping that it has a similar throwback and, and has that same style because it's not to say that New Order didn't have its problems because it did, but I think that that was to be expected given that it was obviously a game they made with consoles in mind and then ported to PC as a 64-bit game, causing problems for users who had 32-bit operating systems. Not like me, but others who did. Another, yeah. another big problem with it was, especially with my computer, my graphics card only has one gigabyte of uh, video memory. And they implemented a technology in ID Tech uh, 5 uh, game yeah. called, uh, what was it? Uh, basically like large texture mapping. I forgot what it is they called it exactly. Yeah. But instead of mapping like specific textures to specific objects and, and doing it in small detail, they grab like this whole chunk of world and then map the entire thing all at once. Right. It up a crap ton more memory. Exactly. So I had to go in and change my settings and stuff because I was actually bumped my settings up pretty high. And then I was going through a sequence where you have to go shoot down this helicopter. And yeah. I walked up almost to where this object is, and then everything goes black. <laughs> All the stuff is <laughs> black, like a right. person, and then part of the floor up to here, and then this object. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. So I started looking it up, and it turns out it's a texture issue. It's texture yeah. size because your RAM's full. So, so if I may ask you guys, what uh, are there any games that you're particularly excited for that are coming out soon? The Order 1886. <laughs> that does look pretty awesome. I'm also getting a PS4, and since it's PS4 exclusive, right, uh, it's, right, mine is on layaway right now, but I should have it roughly around next month. Um, the most advanced gaming hardware that I have at this point is this uh, Galaxy Note 3. <laughs> so, um, I have not be, I have not done much in the way of console gaming in a long time, though, yeah. though I do own a classic Sega Genesis now, but... Nice. Uh, yeah. Saw it at a pawn shop for a really cheap price, and I was like, why not? It still works. I also, um, I also own an arcade machine. Awesome. That sent down one. So, um, the machine that I have has two gigabytes of RAM. It has an NVIDIA GeForce um, 210. Um, it's and it has a gig of RAM on it, but the system only has two gigs of RAM. So, running Steam on this system is out of the question. Right. Um, it they recommend four gigabytes of RAM because of some of the games that are on there, right. regardless of what platform I run. Um, so I I will have to look into getting a much faster desktop at some point, one that can hold more memory, right. and then we can start talking about, okay, what games am I going to put on this thing? Because... Um, in all honesty, last time we, we had a we had to record in two sections because all of a sudden hard drive starts thrashing right in the middle of it and right. bam that was frustrating. Luckily it's behaving itself this time and I suspect it was a memory issue. Um it was going to my swap partition a little too often. I'm like, oh so um 
bumping the system up to four gigs, which is as much as it can hold, actually, will probably alleviate some of that. Um, I, I no longer own that system that had eight gigs of RAM. I sold that to somebody else. Moving down here. Yeah. My, but, my system currently runs 16 because that was the free upgrade when I bought it. <laughs> I don't even think I use all of it, but I, I have it. <laughs> so That's what I thought when I built this computer a couple years ago. I thought I'd never use all I, I only have 8 gigs, but I yeah. thought I'd never use all 8 gigs, and that's incorrect because if I'm... Uh, I'm playing Minecraft. I play Minecraft with right heavy, heavy, heavy amounts of mods. I play mod packs. Right. Uh, there's one on the AT launcher that just came out, or not just came out, but the one that's uh, was redone. The one before it is the Augscast Complete. They have a uh, YouTube show and everything where they do all kinds right. of stupid stuff. And um, for that one to even run on my computer with the texture pack that I have, I have to give Java at least three gigs of memory. Wow. But that in the background, I've already got like three to four gigs used. Right. So it gets up to the point if I don't have Google Chrome now runs in the background automatically. You can't stop that. <laughs> right. Unless you change the option or exit out of it. And I usually just leave it running. But if I go in and play that game, I have to close out Google Chrome, otherwise, I'm running out of memory. And wow. my system will lag and then go, and then lag and then go, and lag and then go because it's killing stuff out of memory to keep going. Right. So I'm gonna to have to upgrade. <laughs> My uh, oh, sorry. I was gonna say you you said you your yours has 16. That's just your desktop or no? It's a laptop. It's a laptop. Oh wow. So you have is that your MacBook Air or is no, that no? This is a this is a Toshiba. Uh, I can't even pronounce the damn thing. Cosmio. Yeah. My old roommate had a Cosmio, an old school Cosmio with the. Yeah. Uh, it was the first generation Core i series, Core i7. Yeah, the, I have a second generation i7. Uh, this one's relatively still pretty new, um, and I, I, I actually, I love it. It's been a great computer to me. I, I had some problems last year that resulted from an, an idiot friend dropping it. Uh, oh. And it cracked the motherboard. I have to have the mother road replaced, but fortunately it was under warranty for them to do that. So it didn't cost me anything. Wasn't anybody I knew of, was it? No, no, no. It was someone down here who was oh, okay. <laughs> backing around and not doing what they were supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, you know, I, I've really enjoyed the computer. I'm, I'm really worried because the game I'm anticipating right now is Far Cry 4. And I, it's like I don't know if I can run it because it looks pretty intensive. Um, I'm you not have, sure. Why would you be worried? It depends on his video card. Well, my my video card, um, it's a four gigabyte video card. It's an Nvidia something something or rather. I don't know. It was the biggest upgrade option they had at the time. Is it a six hundred or seven hundred? I think it might be a 700. I'm trying to find it here on my computer so I can tell you. Um, you. Go to your start menu and then type DX Diag. You should be able to bring it up, and then you click on the display tab. That's usually the quickest way. Okay. That might bring up your Intel HD graphics if you have that, which you yeah. know. Type what again? DX Diag. .exe. Oh, right. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, yes, my... 
Where is it? Okay, that's DirectX display. Let's just look there and see if I can tell you which one it is. Yeah, that brought up my Intel. Why did it not bring it? Uh, then you'll have to go to your de device manager. Yeah. You do that. Oh, you have one of the hybrids, don't you? One where there's the battery saving mode and then the... Right. Right. 90% of hardware, if, if you have a laptop, or I mean laptops, I should say, 90% of laptops nowadays, if they have a dedicated graphics card, like in, in his case, right. it's going to have integrated graphics as well because both AMD and Intel have been designing the processors with integrated graphics built in on the chip. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a GE Force GTX 670N. Oh, okay, that was pretty good. You you should be able to run it. Yeah, I, I was gonna. I don't have any. I just don't know how how much they've improved over the last time they released a game. But I've been a I've been a sucker for those ever since the second one came out, and uh, they're they're a lot fresher in terms of shooters to me than you know playing this year's COD rehash, which full disclosure I still play them anyway. But uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of fun to play with friends. But I mean, like other than that, I don't see any value in Call of Duty. <laughs> no, I, I definitely can understand. Uh, the funny thing is, is I don't play multiplayer. I only play the single player. So I usually wait until the game is dropped down to nineteen ninety nine or ten ninety nine or whatever I can get it for, and I grab it up then, and I play through whatever crappy story they've written for six hours, and then move on. Uh, but you know, it's I generally tend to like. Um, video gaming is a storytelling medium that's as powerful as film is, I think. And that's what I'm usually interested in, is having an interactive experience with a story. So, you know. since you said that, I have to ask you, do you like Mass Effect? Do you like the Mass Effect series? That's a, yes, I do. Okay, have you played all of the series? I have played the first two. I have stayed away from the third one. Um, don't want to get it on Origin, do you? No, I don't want to get it on Origin. And I've also heard that the ending is kind of like a big slap in the face. It is. I I don't want to. I won't tell you what it is um, because the game itself, like even even though the ending like really really sucks, I'm not going to say yeah. that the ending gives any sort of um, buffer or anything for all the choices that you've made in the game. I'm going to tell you straight up. Right. Pros is practically the map. Uh, um, maybe this was just a uh, um, problem with the writer's point of view on how to end the story, but um, the the game up until that point, like all of the games all together, the entire storyline is still extremely good. And I, I still have a lot of respect for Bioware and the company for putting out those games. But yeah, the end of the third one sucks. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've heard the stories. And, you know, um, I was a huge, huge fan growing up in high school. I spent uh, many a night staying up with friends playing Diablo 2. And then, you know, ten years later we got Diablo 3, which kind of... Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with all the controversy surrounding that or not, but uh, that was kind of a big slap in the face, too, to a lot of a lot of gamers that liked it, so... Yeah, I get it completely. I do have Diablo 3, and I played it. I, I never played Diablo 2, only because it was out when I was, uh, mm -hmm. oh, I was 
barely even in uh, middle school, so yeah, I, I didn't have a. At the time, I had a computer that had a Pentium MMAX processor. Yeah. <laughs> it could exactly. run the original Age of Empires and Roller Coaster Tycoon. That made me happy. Right. And a couple right. of city building games that are archaic nowadays, but I'd still probably love to play the crap out of them. Right. But I, I totally understand because going from Diablo 2 to Diablo 3, they got rid of so many different options and so many different things that you could do, so many different like uh, characters and classes and stuff. And in the new game, you only have now with the new expansion. The new expansion, which was forty dollars, yeah, gives you one extra. Uh, class. Class. Yeah, and then the Crusader is absolutely awesome in the new game. But why would you pay forty bucks just for one? Where one new ad? Um, I was going to. I was about to ask which controversy you were referring to. I guess that was one of them. There was also a controversy to where if people were playing Diablo 3 on through Wine on Linux-based systems, all of a sudden the ban hammer went down on them for whatever reason as well. Right. I, I remember that and was Blizzard, an issue. And I think Blizzard claimed that that's not why. or No, we don't ban people using Wine. Except people came up and said, um, I use wine on my system and I still got banned. I'm not cheating, I'm just trying to play the game. Right. So. <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, the, the game has definitely been ripe with controversy because, first of all, let's face it, it wasn't finished when they released it. It was no, nowhere near finished when they released it. They just released Patch 2.0 which was supposed to be the massive update, and it's still not finished, in my opinion, and I just stopped giving money to Blizzard at that point, um, which is too late, really, anyway, because they got me for the expansion in the original game, so I might as well just accept that. But, um, no, once once they kind of joined forces with the... it's I don't know, it's even that question, which is the bigger Satan, EA or Activision, <laughs> uh, in this case, but once they joined forces with one of the two... It, the quality just went down and the profits went up and that's what they wanted. Um, and that really when that happened is why I started going on Steam and looking for a lot of older stuff that maybe I hadn't played in a while or hadn't just missed. You know, if I go on and I look at my wish list right now, you can see I've got a lot of stuff on here, like the original Half-Life. I'm a huge fan of Half-Life 2 and Episode 2 and 1 and 2, and I hope someday they'll make a third one. I never actually played the original Half-Life before, so I've got that on here. Um, you know, lots of stuff like that. So, speaking of video games, so, um, the episode that just went live on the podcast feed yesterday, um, it came from somebody who, it, who has been in video game media for over a decade, as as eccentric as he can be. I asked him his opinion on the whole controversy with quote-unquote Gamergate, and I'd like to know what your thoughts are on that. Well, I don't really know that much about it, to be honest. Um, I understand that it was, uh, at one time, it was a movement to try to bring about some better um, reporting in the gaming um, community, 
and that at some point it, it either morphed into or it got hijacked, I'm not quite really sure what happened, uh, into a platform for Internet sad people to do whatever it is that they're going to do to make other people's lives miserable. And that it it um, basically ended with some girls in gaming getting like their private information spilled and having people come after them verbally and and stalk them through the internet and things uh, because they dared to have a differing opinion about this. Um, I think I don't really follow a lot of video game journalism. For example, uh, I'm a huge huge fan of Fallout. Fallout 3 was amazing. New Vegas was even better for me. And so for the last couple of years, it's like, when are we getting 4? And if you are like me, you go Google every couple of weeks, see, is there any Fallout 4 news? And you will find... I that. I've been doing that yeah, for the last... You will find thousands of... Like, I'm literally trying to tear my computer down just to get a new Fallout game. Yeah. I want it so bad. And you'll find thousands of clickbait bullshit articles. Oh yeah, excuse me. I probably should censor myself. <laughs> um, actually, actually, um, you're you're fine. Um, okay. they're, but they're just they're just garbage articles that are are. It's like, oh, I heard that Fallout's coming out, and it really infuriates me because to me that's really horrible gaming journalism to run your website as a click farm like that. And you'll find hundreds of them specifically for Fallout Four. Um, you know, a Bethesda representative a year and a half ago or so just happened to be on the MIT campus, and and these journalists went nuts saying that's where the game's going to be is in Massachusetts. Well, there never has really been any reason to think that other than one of their per people was at MIT, which has a computer science department, a game development department. So there are thousands of reasons why that person could have been there outside of scouting locations for a game. Um, and so I've kind of tended to stay away from video game journalism. Um, you know, I, I actually, three or four years ago, got basically um, comment abused off of Kotaku because those people, apparently, if you disagree with them, they're the devil and they will come after you. And so I just was like, you know, it's not worth it. I'm not going to be on this website anymore. Uh, um, and speaking of which, um, the, there was the, you talked about talked about certain information getting leaked online and everything else. Um, to catch you back up on everything that happened, uh, first uh, an article regarding Zoe Quinn, yeah. um, basically explaining how what it felt like to be the world's person on the internet for a few weeks, got published on Cracked. And I'm one of those people that, that anytime they read anything related to quote-unquote gender bias issues, um, anymore, it's a red flag for me because often, often enough, it involves either a involves somebody who's not really an activist in that area; they just like to scream behind a keyboard. Right. And b, it's clickbait. And sure enough, I I asked uh, Stephen Kelly about it, and for for about for about the umpteenth time, I heard the phrase "social justice warrior." Yeah, which, <laughs> which you've <laughs> obviously heard of that too. Yeah, and from there, from there we we discussed the controversy in a separate episode. Um, Phil Wesley of DMGIs um, basically supports the idea of having you know more accountability in gaming media, though he doesn't like the use of the hashtag #Gamergate because other people have attached it to their own personal pet issue, as he as he states. 
and it makes everything incoherent as all let out. Um, Shaggy, what are your th- thoughts on the uh, on the whole? Th- well, you kind of sort of delivered some of your thoughts on the whole clickbait thing too. Yeah, um, I, th- I don't remember if I had mentioned this like on the podcast that you and I did after you guys did the podcast on Gamersgate, but um, personally, I, th- I I think the entire situation was basically stupid. It started out with someone just blatantly trying to attack someone else, and and it ended ended up with somebody else trying to attack somebody else, and now it's just a giant group of people. It was ended up being two giant groups of people attacking each other, just a giant mudslinger. Right. Uh, the point it's pointless because I understand that some people were getting upset because of uh, like something got published or something along that line. But for the most part, I, I do agree with uh, what you were saying earlier, Thomas, about who, uh, I can't remember who, it was Phil Wesley, correct? Right. About, about him saying that uh, um, video game journalism is yeah. to basically a little bit higher standard and not just clickbait bullshit. Right. And and that's that's been part of the problem. Um, Steve Kelly, he... Uh, he talked about one of the things that he ran into when he when he wrote for a website when money started rolling in. All of a sudden, advertisers from you know you know big name publishers you know took out ad space and what have you, and nobody was allowed to talk about that game really at all until ad that was gone. Right, and that's. You know, that's sort of the big part of the problem. And eventually, no longer, he was asked to bump up the score for a review he did. He said no. <laughs> and it just quit being fun for him, so he just stopped doing it. Um, and that sort of thing. And and his whole, his whole uh, summary was um, some unethical behavior occurred. Um, they got caught, and they teamed up with other SJWs to try to basically take down video gaming as a result of it, and everybody else is getting dragged right into the middle of it. That wants nothing to do with politics or anything like that. They just want to be left alone with their favorite hobby. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's really a... I think it's kind of a sad day for the gaming community because um, I think gamers that congregate online and discuss gaming and get into this stuff as much, I really think they're the minority. I hardly ever go on to forums and argue about what the best game is and all that stuff. You know, I play games because I want to relax after a hard day of work or when I get home from class. I just want to relax for a little bit. And I play all kinds of games. You know, I'm probably the only person you know that enjoys playing Aliens, Colonial Marines, and that was a huge pile of junk. If you look at the opinion of the internet, I loved a game. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was it's fun, and I enjoy it. Um, and so to me, when I see this stuff kind of go on, I really can't help but think that it's the community itself that makes this issue because they're... The, you know, a lot of gamers are the ones who are the journalists writing these stories, whether they're uh, uh, appropriate to write or not, or whether their opinions are correct or what have you. 
you know, it's, it's, I guess we reap what we sow. Um, and, and there's a reason I don't refer to myself as a journalist. I discovered, well, from my own perspective, that you have to set certain parts of your own humanity to an extent aside in order to be objective as possible. Right. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Um, I will say that disclosure is a good idea. <coughs> mm-hmm. If, if, for example, you donated to or if you gave money to a crowdfunding project for a certain game or something like that and it gets made and you write about it, well, yeah, you you absolutely probably should say, hey, I gave money to this. Right. Because I, I go back to a book called Hackers, Heroes of the Computer Revolution where the company that would eventually become Sierra Online... Um, put out some video games. One of them, the, the the Williams family was friends with people who owned a publication. That publication was still honest about the quality of one of their games and said that this is terrible and everything else. So, so networking with other people that's not new. It, it's I think the lack of disclosure that's a problem. And lack of honesty in certain things is is a problem. And then, and then looking for a reason to fight, which, which I, after looking at, looking at things that SJWs imply or argue about in the first place, makes me want to dump acid down my throat <laughs> and gouge my eyes out and set them on fire. Um, I'm like. Mm. <laughs> You know, it's 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 similar, and it, it's not just video games either. I mean, I play cards. I used to be involved in Warhammer 40K to some degree until I finally had enough of Games Workshop's BS and, and just dropped it entirely as a hobby. Uh, you know, when you start trying to trademark words like space and marine as separate words, you know your company has a problem. Uh, when you are selling um, products at MSRP that's three times higher than the actual value it costs to make them, you know that the company itself already has a problem. This thing, this this kind of controversy about the integrity in gaming, it spans the whole spectrum. Whether you're a tabletop RPG guy or a uh, a card player or a video games computer PC uh, or computer or PS3 or Xbox, it doesn't matter. It really spans the whole thing, and I think. It has a lot to do with the maturity, the mental maturity of a number of the people that participate in the hobby. Um, you know, the kids that get on YouTube and you, you go on a trailer for, I don't know, like a, a new Final Fantasy game, and somebody has, in the first three comments, has brought up Call of Duty, and then you've got a Battlefield kid in there, and then you've got 30 posts of them using racial slurs at, at each other and talking about how they want to rub their privates all over each other for some reason. You, know, you, you kind of start to question the mentality of some of these, uh, some of the gaming community that I think are these kids that do this are the same people that then show up and they, they use what knowledge they have of, of hacking and they get Zoquin's, you know, information and throw it out there on the net or they, um, 
there was one just recently, I'm trying to remember, she was from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she, all she did was she was asked about the Gamergate, and she said, you know, as a gamer, I work with Will Wheaton on the uh, Geek and Sundry podcast. You know, I, I've stayed away from making any kind of comment about it, and then five minutes later, the game Gamergate guy showed up and put all her information out on the public just for basically saying, I haven't spoken about it because I'm afraid that will happen to me. You know, the fact that she was even willing to answer the question really kind of threw her under the bus for that. And I think that's what I'm saying is that the, that mentality of those kids that do that has got to be the same as the ones that, you know, just sit there on Xbox Live and scream at you over and over and over again for no reason. <laughs> and, and, and it's just giant, tra- giant train wreck between trolls and social justice warriors. Yeah. Trolls and social justice warriors, and certain people going, they're threatening me, and then you suddenly find out the people that are allegedly threatening pe- them to where they're out of their, they're being, they have to go out of their homes because they feel so endangered. I'm like, wait, these are the same people who will try to order 40 pizzas the moment a picture of pizzas appear on 4chan. This yeah. is the same group of people who were talking about black faxing Scientology buildings and making and and pulling all sorts of pranks. This is the same people who tricked Oprah Winfrey into saying the phrase nine over nine thousand penises on national television. Yeah. And I'm like how can you take them as credible threats? Well, I, think, I think the fear doesn't really come from them, but it comes from the fact that, like, I'll give you an example. One of the things, and I, I cannot remember her name, but she was in Buffy. That's all I can remember. That you can probably. Right. She had said that the fear was not the kids that released her information, but it's like I am a Hollywood star. I have a career in act in acting, and I was a sex symbol in the '90s to a lot of adolescent boys. And I worry that somebody will just find my information, who's not even associated with Gamergate or something, and they might come after me because they can now. I think that is a legitimate concern to have. As for whether or not there's going to be some mass group of people from 4chan coming to actually rape you, I, I think is not the case. But um, then again, I don't go to websites like 4chan because I don't really like those people anyway. <laughs> and, and it's not a, it's not for everybody. I, I tried posting I images mean, there, and, and it just and five seconds later, boom, more images, and I don't see mine that I post. I'm like, oh. right. It's, well, that's actually, you know, that's a good point. It's not necessarily that that place is bad because they've actually done good things. It's that they are just really not for me. You know, I I used to spend a lot of time on the Internet. I try to spend minimal time on the Internet these days because I'm usually out doing something. If I'm on my computer, it's usually for gaming. If I'm not gaming, then I'm not on the computer hardly. Um and so you know, just it really wasn't a thing for me to to really get into, I guess. Right. Um, but and you know, yeah. I I think part of it as well is trying to brush everybody under with the same brush stroke too, and right. not yeah, everybody on 4chan is the same. You can't say that because one person that goes to that website would hack someone's account and release their photos. That everybody that goes on that site would do that because that's not the case. Well, it's, it's also just like saying that, like, for the gamers in Gamergate, 
scandal issue bullshit thing. It's it's like saying that every gamer just sits behind a TV or computer screen, doesn't have anything better to do than slam everybody else and want to hack into somebody's account or right, exactly somewhere and get their information thrown out there. I don't have that fucking kind of time. Yeah, but I would do it for the money. And I, and I go to school and I work. <laughs> The free time I do have, I prefer to spend it with my fiance and then playing video games. Right. I'm a gamer at heart. (laughs) I don't have that kind of time. Right. And and you mentioned Zoquin earlier. The the whole the whole and it wasn't it wasn't the start of the whole uh, we we need to hold these people accountable coverage. Because it really started out as somebody basically kind of post an expose saying, hey, if you run into this person or are wanting to date them, um, one, they will cheat on you. Two, uh, they're very manipulative. And three, you probably do not want to try to date them at all. Move on to somebody else. Because it's, from looks, I read, I read this whole thing and I didn't look at the massive graphics of screenshots because it would have it was taking up my entire screen of my mobile device and then some, but even they they're saying even they're saying the harassment is not necessary and and please quit doing that. Right. Um, that it was basically gasoline on the fire that was already there. Right. And and Breitbart of all places, which I have mixed feelings on, that's why I went directly to the screenshots looked at some of the emails from various publications saying, how can we support this person? And I'm like, um, that doesn't look good. Um, one person rightfully said, um, I don't think we should be doing this. I am staying out of this. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of what I've done. I mean, I, I barely talk about it to people. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't affect me. In the slightest, um, you know, it's the fucking internet. Basically, <laughs> don't take it so seriously, um, and everything else. And also, just because somebody says I'm advocating on behalf of all of these people, please give me money. I, I would hesitate to give them money. Um, right. I actually saw a YouTube clip where some professor from England practically um, within a few moments basically owns an SJW because he basically stated, I was prepared to have this debate for free. I was going to say, I mean, that's a lesson we should have learned given that a couple of years ago the uh, rebels fighting against Bashar al-Assad in Syria were all like, just give us some guns so we can take care of the dictator, and, you know, now there's ISIS. Um, And, you know, that's kind of a lesson you can learn about staying out of things, especially on the Internet, when it relates to people's um, extracurricular activities becoming made public. The best thing you can do, in my opinion, is don't, don't go look at them, you know, don't go search. Whenever, whatever it was they made public for this young lady that was in the gaming industry, I don't even know what it was because I didn't even bother my time with it. Um, I think it was like her address and some pictures or something, but I didn't even bother going to look at that because it's none of my business. I don't care about it. 
I'm not going to add fuel to the fire by you know throwing my voice in on an internet forum for something that I don't even really care about in the first place. Um, and I, I do, you know, I definitely understand, like I was saying earlier, I understand the movement itself about making video game journalism uh, or journalism just in general more uh, responsive to being uh, an objective source, but it does definitely feel like it got hijacked at some point and turned into something or maybe several somethings different. So Right. And And that's... Because, like, on the one hand, you know, I don't, I don't like the idea of somebody being harassed. On the other hand, um, there are ways of basically faking threats against yourself to garner up people feeling sorry for you and everything else. It's and and being through points in my life where I've been manipulated. You right. know, I'm kind of leery of things like that, and and. In the la- and um, yesterday, um, since the recording's taking place today on Tuesday, towards the end of October, um, you, you'll you listen to what Phil had to say. He basically is saying the same thing you're saying: is you know, stop paying attention to him. Yeah, you know, it's it's. It's kind of like um, the the more that it gets reported on, the more it's kind of like the Westboro Baptist Church. People don't like them. Um, they certainly have in America the freedom of speech to say what they're going to say, just like I have the freedom to call them ignorant assholes for saying it. But um, you know, the best thing to do is to ignore them. And, and my dad and I would always have these conversations. Like, I don't even know why the news goes and records when they go protest somewhere. If they just leave them alone, eventually they would shut up. And I think the same thing is true about Gamergate. You know, if we stop getting into useless fights on the Internet, on some forum or on the comments section of a story or a web page, it will calm down enough to where maybe the original movement about making more integrity in in gaming journalism will come back and flourish and actually accomplish something without having all the extra fat around the sides just taking up all the space. Now that that's fair. That's a fair assessment of the whole thing. Yeah, I can pretty much agree with that. <laughs> so, so um, it is about eight forty p.m. All right, we've been going about over an hour. I bet. Longer one. <laughs> but I, I think this this is pretty good. Curtis, what topics would you like to talk about in the future? Well, I mean, I'm I'm down for talking about uh, space exploration, space travel. I'll do video game shows. Um, you know, I I can come in and try to talk about uh, history a little bit. I'm not. I, I can talk about politics, but I can be honest. I'm not like the most enthusiastic political person. Um, so I mean, I can do shows like that too. Um, just about anything. I really really am passionate about education national park system and public lands and that sort of thing and, and uh, just general education topics though. So that any shows you might want to do for that. Your recent show on the blood moon was great. Uh, stuff like that I'm always interested in, you know, sitting in and talking on because you can talk about, you know, all the myths and things and all the great stuff. It's a really fun discussion for that. So That is some stuff that we haven't done very much of, especially uh, 
in the last like few months or so. So it'd be something I would be interested in doing too. So we could we could definitely talk about some myths or related to history or even to technology. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's coming. <laughs> few ideas are starting to spark that would probably be have to be appropriately timed but hey that that sounds very very fantastic um curtis um welcome aboard thank you um he's going to bring a lot to the show with with his background in science and and exploration outside as well so I think that just about wraps up this episode. Uh, and we are well on our way to getting to episode 70. So we're getting very close. I think it'll be five more episodes after this one. Right. So um, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. I'm Thomas. I'm Shaggy. And I'm Curtis. And we will see you next time. See you.